after my junior year of college, I wanted to make some money. So I moved home. My parents lived in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I started looking for a job. And I found one at a coffee shop. It was called CC's Coffee House. If you're in the South and you see community coffee, which is pretty common in restaurants and gas stations, this was the company. And so I started working in this coffee shop. That's kind of where they kind of fed my like love for coffee. Every day we would play this game and four coffees would be brewed and then it would be a blind taste test and you'd have to try all of them and try and figure out which one is which. That was kind of a game we played at this job. But the very first day I was working there, I was working with the manager and they have like most businesses, especially kind of corporate businesses, there was a checklist of everything that needs to be done. And this was my first day and we're training. And so she said, hey, here's all the things I want you to do. So I did everything that was done on the list, and then I had no idea what to do next. It's kind of the first day, and I don't know what do you do after that. So I'm standing there in the coffee shop talking with the manager, and she starts telling a story. And she was telling a story of watching a TV show the night before that featured the worst employees around. And she was like, they were doing what you're doing right now. And I was standing there, and I was like, is she saying, am I, like, I've done everything on the list? What am I supposed to do? Like, is this her way of telling me something else that I'm supposed to do? And so in that moment, I was like, this is my first day on the job. What do you want me to do? Like, don't leave me in suspense here. The longer I've been in the job, then I figure out there's other things that can be done that aren't on the checklist. But that very first day, and I've carried that with me. You can probably hear a little bit of a bitterness in my voice. I was just like, what do you want me to do? And I'll do it. I just, I have no idea what's going on. And I thought of that story because here at Christmas, we go through this Christmas season and we tell the same story year after year and we use words like celebration. But I get to Christmas and this year especially, I was like, but God, what do you want me to do? Maybe you're like me and you, you go, okay, look, I'm a lot better if you just give me the list of things that you want instead of just telling me a story with facts in it. What do you want me to do? And so we get to Christmas and we've talked about what our expectations should be, how we're supposed to respond to the news. But like, if we get down to the nitty gritty, what's the application of Christmas? What, is, what does God want us to do at Christmas? Today I want to show you in Luke chapter 1 what it is that God wants us to do. So we get to the Christmas story and we can go, God, do you want me to be like the wise men and go from a long distance and bring costly gifts? Or we go, God, do you want me to be a shepherd who goes around telling everybody the news of what I've seen and heard? God, is there some way in which I'm supposed to be like Mary or be like Joseph? God, what, it, what is it that you want me to do? And today we're going to look at Luke chapter 1 and see what is the application of Christmas? God, what is it you want from us this Christmas? Luke chapter 1, we're going to be reading verses we're going to be looking at verses 39 to 56. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39. Up to this point, just to make sure that you're caught up, the story of Luke starts with the birth of John the Baptist being foretold. And the angel Gabriel comes to Zacharias and says, your wife who is barren, and even though you guys are old, and even though everybody thinks you're cursed of God, you're actually going to give birth to the prophet who's going to go before the Messiah. And then Gabriel goes to Mary, and he says, Mary, you're going to give birth to the Messiah, to the Savior. So Mary receives that, believes, and then verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. 
When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we open your word, as we come close to listen, not just to news, but to know what is it that you want from us at Christmas. I pray that we would hear in Jesus' name. Amen. So we reach this point. Mary gets up and rushes off to see her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth is six months pregnant. Mary greets her, Elizabeth, the baby leaps in her womb. She gives this kind of two-part blessing, but what I want you to notice, she gives this two-part blessing, but what she says is, blessed are you among women, blessed is the child of your She says, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And she says, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And then Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Right here at the beginning, it starts with Elizabeth going, like, you coming to me is this this blessing that I can't even fathom. Elizabeth says, why am I so favored? Then She says, the baby inside me didn't just leap because he was excited, but he leaped for joy. And then Mary follows it up with, my soul glorifies, my soul magnifies. These words are piling up of favor and of blessing, of joy, of worship. Because what it's pointing us to is that at Christmas, Christmas is about joy. Christmas is about worship. We think of it's a celebration and we're supposed to give gifts and there's some things, but like, God, what is it you want me to do? But right here we begin to see that Christmas is about joy. Christmas is about worship. These words kind of pile up. Some of your translations may, in place of glorify, they may say worship or my soul magnifies the Lord. I actually like the word magnify a lot, mainly because worship and glorify gets to be so common. We begin to think of them in just kind of churchy ways and churchy terms, but magnify is not a word that anybody I know uses. It's this idea, like, my soul makes much of the Lord. Here at Christmas is what Mary says. My soul magnifies the Lord. Other words that we could use would be, my soul adores the Lord. My soul enjoys the Lord in this moment. Here we see Christmas is about joy. And I want to I modify a quote I've heard. Christmas exists because worship doesn't. Christmas exists because joy doesn't exist. Like Jesus comes in this moment then the response of Elizabeth and the response of the baby and the response of Mary is a response of joy because what God wants at Christmas is joy. What God wants at Christmas is worship. So the invitation in this passage is for us to magnify the Lord this Christmas, for us to enjoy the Lord this Christmas, for us to worship the Lord at Christmas. So Christmas isn't just this, this holiday where there's so much pressure of what am I supposed to do and how do I juggle everything and how do I celebrate and how do I give gifts and how do I make peace in my family? The point of Christmas is will we actually magnify the Lord? And that's something that can be done even if our families are fractured. Even if Christmas is a time of financial hardship, a, Christmas is a time of loneliness, Christmas can still be a time of worship. Because you see Mary, 
was still shamed. Like Mary's life was still at risk from a human perspective because her, her, the man she was engaged to could still have her put to death. Mary lived in a small town where the news would get around and follow her for the rest of her life. But Mary could still worship at this time. Even though she knew, hey, shame is probably going to follow me and lots of people are not going to understand, Christmas can be a time for us to worship regardless of what things look like around us. And what I want to show you here is three ways that we can magnify the Lord. I want to show you three ways that we can worship the Lord at Christmas. You see, what happens next is Mary does a song. And oftentimes we look at the Bible and go, okay, this is a report of what Mary sang. But when the Bible gives us a prayer or the Bible gives us a song, it's not just, hey, here are the facts. Look at what Mary said. It's actually an invitation. Will you actually sing the same song? Will you actually pray the same prayers? So it's, it's not, wow, this is just a nice record. Instead, it's an invitation. Can we actually participate with Mary in magnifying the Lord at Christmas? I want to show you three ways that we can magnify the Lord at Christmas. Mary starts with, my soul glorifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Verse 48 gives us the first way. It shows us that we magnify the Lord who turns humiliation to blessing. Magnify the Lord who turns humiliation to blessing. Notice what she says in verse 48. She says, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She starts with this, this for the humble state of his servant. You, a way of putting this, this humble state is this humiliated state. I don't think she's talking about the fact that she is pregnant with a baby and every, nobody's going to understand. She's talking about living in poverty in a, in a backwater in the land of Israel. She's, she's living in poverty, lo- overlooked. She's in the people group that has no power so that the Romans can oppress them and make them do whatever they want. Mary says, he has been mindful of my humiliated state. But she doesn't stop there. Hey, God's noticed where I'm at. But then she says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. What Mary shows us here is that God takes her humiliation and turns it into blessing. That he takes her humiliation, giving her a legacy so that generation after generation, including us, says, wow, look at what Mary got to experience. Look at what God did in Mary's life. And so even now, Mary has a legacy of blessing. Not in the terms that some other churches were going to put with some kind of holy stay, but she has a legacy of blessing in this passage showing us that we can magnify the Lord who specializes in taking humiliation and making blessing out of it. A few weeks ago, I was sitting with a friend and I said, hey, can you help me understand? I want to be a student of the culture here. I want to to really understand what's going on in our area. And one of the things he shared with me is he said, you don't understand for those that come from a European heritage, Those that come from a European heritage in this area, pride, humility, and embarrassment are powerful motivators. He said that oftentimes you look and say, why would somebody not try something? And he said the reason, to his knowledge in this area, is embarrassment and humiliation is a powerful motivator so that people will do anything to avoid risking embarrassment. People will do anything to avoid risking humiliation. And he said, so you need to know if you're going to pastor in this area, this is actually a significant and powerful motivator. 
And so what I want to say to you is if, if that's something that you're, you have in mind, if there's this fear of what will people think if I step out like this and I get humiliated, or maybe it's I actually already am humiliated. What am I supposed to do? I want you to know that the Lord specializes in taking humiliation and humility and making blessing out of it. That the people around go, no, don't try that. Somebody might notice. Somebody might see. Somebody might put you down because of that. Your family or your friends or your neighbors. And what I want you to notice is God is mindful of the humble and humiliated state of his servants. And he specializes in bringing blessing out of that. We see that when we look at the story of Joseph. In the Old Testament, when we see that Joseph was sold into slavery, and then when he was in slavery, he got even lower because he was put in prison. And God raised Joseph up out of the prison to be the second in command in all of Egypt to save God's people. God's specialty throughout Scripture is taking the humble and making them blessed. It's what we see when we look in the New Testament and we look in the city of Philippi where there's a girl who is enslaved by masters who use her powers to tell the future to make money. And the thing that God specializes in is delivering her from the spirit that they are using to tell the future and make money. And he uses her to plant the best church in the New Testament, the Philippian church. When Paul says, this is my pride and joy, this is the church in which everything is right, he takes a jailer that was suicidal and he takes a little girl that had been possessed by a spirit and he plants the best church imaginable. Because that's what God specializes in. And so here at Christmas, magnify the Lord with Mary who turns humiliation to blessing. Will you worship in the midst of whatever it is that you're facing? Saying this Christmas, the outward situations may not change. You may be estranged from people. You may be facing financial trouble. You may be facing things at work where you go, nobody notices and nobody will ever care. Here at Christmas, will you magnify the Lord? Will you worship the Lord with Mary who turns uh, humiliation to blessing? The second way to magnify the Lord, to worship the Lord this Christmas is to magnify the Lord whose character is for my good. Magnify the Lord whose character is for my good. Verse 49 says, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. What I want you to notice is he starts with these two, these two titles. These two titles that reflect the character of God. The Mighty One and the Holy One. It starts out with the Mighty One and the Holy One. But then he says, the Mighty One hasn't just noticed me. The Holy One hasn't noticed me. It's actually the Mighty One has done great things for me. You usually, based on your experience and my experience, mighty ones don't do anything for us. Holy ones don't do anything for us. And so we can go through life thinking that God's might and God's holiness only ever separate us from him. But here we see, Mary says, God actually uses his might and he uses his holiness for us at Christmas, not against us. And that is not our experience in the world. Then verse 50 says, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. We see this fear word and we go, what, what do you actually mean by fear? Does that mean those that are scared of God get mercy? That when the Bible uses the term fear, it's this kind of term for regard. It's such as when we go, man, somebody had no regard for the consequences to other people, other actions. Somebody had no regard for how this was going to affect their family. Somebody had no regard for anybody else. That's the term fear. He had no regard. And so here it says, his mercy extends to those who fear him. But notice that fear is not 
doing things right so that we don't need mercy. It's actually those that have regard for the Lord. Those that have fear are the ones that gained mercy. And so what I want you to notice here is that we can magnify the Lord who uses his character for us at Christmas, not in spite of us. He's not kind to us in spite of his character. He's actually kind to us because of his character. His might and his holiness are used for our advantage. When we look at Psalm 86, we look at Psalm 86, we see, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. For great is your love toward me, for you have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's the idea here. Usually we think God's might and holiness are here, and we are here, and he has to do something in spite of himself to love us, in spite of himself to bring us near. And this passage says, no, the Lord uses his character, and he uses his holiness, and we see it also in the Old Testament. He uses it for us. Back in the winter, I found a free piano. And we wanted a piano. We wanted Ellie to be able to take piano lessons. And I was like, okay, great. It's a free piano. And so got a truck and got a friend. And we go to this house. And they had it down in the basement, which is a horrible idea. If somebody says free piano in basement, run. At the time, my back was in really bad shape. At the time, my back was in just... And so I thought, well, if we're only moving a few inches at a time, it's not going to be that big of a deal. I'm going to be able to handle this. My back was in really bad shape. So we go, and we find this piano, and it's not huge, but it's big enough, and it's in a basement, and the basement is narrow, so there's no way to, like, double team and, like, get this piano up. And so if it was up to me, there was no way I could get the piano up. My friend that was with me is a lot stronger than I am. His back is in a lot better shape. This is going to be okay. But thankfully, the girl that was giving the piano away said, I, my, my fiancé is really strong. And I was like, yeah, fiancé is real strong. That's what everybody says about their fiancé. <laughs> but thankfully, this guy was built like a Mack truck and actually just walked around to one end. When we'd reached our end and there was nothing else that we could do, grabs one end and pulls that piano to the top of the stairs. And this passage says that, yes, we have a mighty God and he uses it for us. That when we cannot do anything on our own, he doesn't use his holiness and his might to separate himself from us. It's instead he uses those for our advantage. And Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And so we are called to magnify the Lord whose character is for us at Christmas. So what are we supposed to do at Christmas? We're supposed to celebrate. We can worship because his character is for us. So this Christmas, will you look at the Christmas trees and will you look at the presents and will you look at these things and say, Oh, how great is this God who is for me at Christmas? Will I enjoy him? Can I magnify him in my family and in my neighborhood going, oh, no matter what my life looks like, he, I can know that God's character and his power are being used for me at Christmas. And the third way to magnify the Lord, to worship the Lord at Christmas, is we can magnify the Lord who satisfies the hungry. Verses 51 through 55. Verses 51 through 55. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. He 
Here, Mary picks up that same idea. He has done great things with his arm. But then she, in this song, does this cool thing where she like sets up this structure. This kind of structure where she says, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the, uh, the rich away empty. What she's doing is she's setting this focus, focusing our attention on the fact that God raises up the humble and satisfies the empty. Another way of putting it would be uh, satisfying the hungry, would be fulfilling or filling up those that are empty. The emphasis here is on that God looks on those that are empty. God looks on those that are hungry and he fills them up. This is one of Luke's emphasis in the entire book that Jesus has a special ministry in mind for women, for the poor, for the outcasts. One of the special emphasis in Jesus' ministry in the book of Luke is that God has a special concern for those on the outside, those that are just limping along, those that are empty and say, I have nothing to give. How do I get to Christmas like this? Luke's emphasis, God's emphasis is that God does not respect the world's order. We see that in Jesus' ministry. Those that come rich and filled up and saying, Jesus, Aren't I good enough the way that I am? Jesus sends those away. But he has a special concern that are poor in spirit, who are poor even financially. He's the one who is especially concerned with those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not the ones that have it. And so here at Christmas, we magnify the Lord whose specialty is satisfying the hungry to fulfilling up those things that are empty. Reminds me of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. That's just he says, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed, and the blessings are for those that come empty because God fills those. It's the Pharisees and the Sadducees that are on top of the heap. The ones that are the king of the mountain are the ones that he sends away. And so Christmas becomes an occasion for us to increase our hunger. Christmas becomes a time of worship when we go, I'm actually hungry, but I'm actually coming to a God that delights in filling. I come to God limping along, and he's the one that specializes in healing. I come to God empty, and he specializes in filling things up. And so the warning to us is to not come to Christmas and see, how can I make everything look right on the outside? The warning is not to try and pursue the world's order that God has no respect for. It's actually to say, God, look at my poverty of spirit. Look at where I'm really at this Christmas, and I know that I can be delighted in what you have to offer. And so how does God do this? How do we become worshipers at Christmas? How do we become worshipers at Christmas? It's because the Lord is the one who comes as a baby, leaving his blessing and taking our humiliation so that we can participate in the blessing that he has enjoyed from the foundation of the world. We know and when we look at this baby Jesus who becomes a man and lives the life we should live and dies the death we should die and rises again in our place, we actually know for sure that God's might and his holiness are used for our good forever. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God if he is for us in this way. And so Christmas becomes a time of worship because we actually see it in flesh and blood in this baby. We can magnify the Lord who satisfies the hungry because we know that he has lived in the world that we live in. We can know that he fills up those empty things. 
Because he's come to this world. He's come to us, specializing in bringing close those that are poor in spirit. Those that are hungry, he feeds with, with loaves of bread and fish. Those that need healing, he heals with the touch of his hand. Those that need freedom, he, he gives them freedom from their chains and from their bondage. And so we can worship at Christmas. What does God want from us? He wants worshipers. He wants those that say, oh, he turns humiliation to blessing. He's the one that is for my good this year, and he's the one that will satisfy every hunger in my life, even if it doesn't feel like it. So will you worship with Mary this Christmas? Will you worship with Mary this Christmas? Play the songs, do the gifts, do those family things, and go in the middle of all of this. I know that God is for me, and who can be against me? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the good news that Jesus came to us that he identifies with us and he promises to bring us freely with him. I pray that we will become worshipers this Christmas. We will know that that's what you want from us and that we can participate in that because you came for us. In Jesus' name, amen.